So you may be wondering why we have all these candles and, and chanting all of these things. And so uh, before talking about Divine Mercy Sunday, I'd like to talk about what an octave is. What is an octave? An octave is something that I think would be helpful if I knew more about for my own singing. But uh, outside of that, within the church, an octave is this set of eight days. Eight days. And we know seven is a very important number within the faith, starting back from the Old Testament into the New. That even in the beginning of creation, creation is made in seven days, and that there's this fullness, there's this completion. But within Catholic liturgy, there are these two times throughout the year in the calendar that we call octaves, or eight days. And the significance of this is that there's this perfection of the seven days with these two main events, these two calendar events. And on the eighth day, it, that event is perfected, but that eighth day is a sign of eternity. Like there's something beyond here. There's something beyond this form of creation. There is, in fact, a recreation. And so those two times of the year that we have octaves are Christmas, and Easter, when God becomes man, and then when God, and there's a new creation there, but then whenever God redeems man, and there's a resurrection of his mortal body from death, there's a recreation there. And so right now we are in this Easter octave, that is, all the days, um, including this eighth day within that, um, are like this one singular Easter day that one event. It's the same event as in the seven days, it's the same event of God creating, and so in these eight days, it's the same event of God resurrecting from the dead. And so with this octave, though, and at the end of it, uh, this bookmark, we're talking about really kind of one event. And the event for us who are on this side of heaven is that resurrection... Is in, the, is in the life of grace, right? That we are dead in our sins and God raises us up to life in the life of grace. And so on Easter, the first time that we celebrated Easter in this church, we highlighted a certain way in which God raises us from the dead. And that was through the sacrament of baptism. We had five people go into that font and like Christ, who goes into the tomb and rises out of the tomb, so those who went into the font underwater then rose out of the font into new life, having all of their sins forgiven, and so in the spiritual life are raised from the dead. And now, bookending this, we have this other kind of washing that Jesus talks about in the gospel as jesus says to peter i cannot wash i cannot bathe you totally those who are bathed have no need of cleaning again but i can wash your feet this is what we get in the gospel today in different terms we hear jesus institute the sacrament of penance so that we who have been baptized may be resurrected regularly into the life of grace resurrected 
And so I want to stop now and talk about what it is so profound that Jesus does here in the gospel. So he goes into the upper room where the disciples are fear for fear of the Jews. If we're remembering the whole resurrection story, we remember that Mary Magdalene has already seen that the tomb is empty. And seeing that the tomb is empty, it has gone to report back to the disciples. Now, this is curious. So the disciples, are they all excited? No. They stay in the upper room for fear of the Jews. They are still scared. What are they scared of? Perhaps they're scared that they would suffer the same fate as Jesus did. And so they are locked in there. And so it's significant that Jesus then walks into the upper room with his new resurrected body powers that he walks through the wall and says to them, peace be with you. Who is he saying? He's saying this to his, he's saying this to those who left him, his friends that betrayed his trust, that went away, right? He's telling them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. The father has sent me to bear the sins of the world. The father has sent me to go and spend myself in service for the love of the gospel. Father sent me this. So I send you. I send you to bear the sins, uh, to bear your own sins and the sins of others with me. I send you to pour yourself out in the same way that the Father sent me to pour myself out. And then when he said this, and this is seems like the smallest detail, but I think it's the most important of this gospel. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain are retained. Jesus breathes on them. This is not John just making an awkward comment of how Jesus relates to his disciples by breathing on them. This is a profound theological point that whenever God creates man in the very beginning of time and he forms him out of clay, God breathes into him. So that he goes from clay to man. And so now we have the disciples who are dead. They are dead in their sins. And what God does is that he breathes on them again. And he breathes on them saying, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. And so... What he's showing here is that by the power of forgiveness, we are breathed back into supernatural life by receiving forgiveness, but also by giving it. So one we have here is just like a great proof, proof text to our Protestant brothers of the um, institution of confession. It's right here that Jesus tells the apostles whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. Yeah, it's a nice proof text. But Jesus is not just simply speaking to uh, those ordained ministers of the priesthood. He's also sp speaking to the lay priesthood because there's a deep spiritual truth here that all of us have the power to receive the life of God and to breathe the life of God in some way by forgiving beyond our capacity. 
what these disciples do is that they simply receive from Jesus the authority to forgive because they have been forgiven. They can't really figure out necessarily how to forgive people in their lives on their own power. But they can forgive based off of Jesus' power. And they will not have the life of God go through them unless they forgive. In the same breath that Jesus says, you know, just simply breathes life into them, he says, go and forgive sins. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. And then an important point, whose sins you retain are retained. This is very important. This happens within the sacrament of confession, but it also should happen within our own lives. That not even though confession is always offered and forgiveness is always offered, forgiveness is not always, is not always given. And that is a distinction that we need to have in our own relationships. So we should always be willing to offer forgiveness. But in the sacrament of confession, if someone comes and says, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I am in an adulterous relationship, and uh, my adulterer is outside. And we're going to, you know, and like, we're going to go back and, you know, continue the relationship. It's like, okay, well, like you're not repentant, right? So I don't have the power to forgive because there's no repentance. In the same way, we should always and be honestly offering forgiveness. But we do need to know that we don't always give forgiveness, right? That a person um, must be willing to, you know, to uh, repent. But also that we could offer forgiveness and if the person does not repent, that we can forgive them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we trust them right? Even the church always offering forgiveness, that Christ does not entrust his body to those who come to him in grave sin, or would have it not, not that way, right? That we do not receive Christ uh, while in grave sin. So, but Jesus, um, getting back to, we took a little detour there, what it means to uh, retain sins, Jesus still intends, though, to breathe his life in us through the church. And this is why whenever Thomas comes eight days later into the same room, that Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you have seen my hands? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. The reason why those who are blessed who have not seen and have believed is because they believe someone else. They don't, they don't remain in suspicion of anyone else. Think of Thomas. Thomas is like, I don't trust you apostles. I'm not going to believe until I see him myself. Well, you know what that means? That means that he doesn't share a deep communion with the apostles. If I don't trust what you're saying, it means that I don't think that you're trustworthy. And so whenever... He says, blessed are you who, um, who have not seen and have believed. That means that we believe the church. We believe this body of witnesses from apostolic succession. And we believe the words of God whenever we go to him in confession and receive from the hands of a priest 
forgiveness from our sins. That I receive communion not only with God, but with his church. And so the Lord desires to breathe life within us on this Divine Mercy Sunday. He desires us to participate in that divine life and breathe it onto others. If only we can allow him to walk through the doors of our hearts, to forgive as he has forgiven us by his power.